These are not just stories. These are dreams, passions, experiences. You are now in this dash. We normally just do audio, but we were planning on like putting like the recorded on YouTube. But if you're uh, not comfortable with bruh, that, bruh, you gotta let me know. Am I here looking like this? <laughs> nah, nah. We bring. We listen. I'm. I'm. My head. Oh, you want that real? With a roll. This is no. But like, but here's the thing. My real has lipstick. <laughs> that's, that's <my> <laughs> this is like me i'm basically asleep right now this is how I listen I'm, I'm with you man you might hear my dog barking in the back or my son asking me for wi-fi <laughs> passwords <laughs> In the Stash Podcast, season two. I'm excited. Are you excited? Studio applause. Oh, We're going to do, we do that in post, guys. Uh, uh, you like your own claps? How you guys feeling, man? Feeling good, man. Uh, a little high. Good. My AC should be set up a little later on today, but... <laughs> oh, okay. Bragging rights, AC. All right. Um, I'm excited about today. We have a very, very, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm saying she's special because I've been doing so much research on her and, I, and I'm just loving what I'm finding out. Um, Anthony and Pierre. Guys, give it up for Anthony and Pierre. Applause. Yeah, I know. I know. The, the people in the, 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 the world are like, where's the applause? Um, but Anthony, how you doing? How you doing today? Hey y'all, I'm doing very well. I'm worried you've been researching me. I don't know what you found. I, I mean, good things. Good things. <laughs> Listen, I I'm I, I don't know about anybody else, and I think everybody feels the same way. I'm excited. <laughs> it's rare that you find people that A inspire you and A encourage you. Sometimes you find people that give you a little bit of one or the other, but you're like, oh, she's making moves. And um, rightfully so. Uh, and I think we're going to just jump right into it because uh, I feel like this is burning everybody's heart to death in regards of like activism and just how can we make change and how can we um, help our communities. And I feel like you're living and breathing that right now. And I want to first start with you as an activist, um, you as a community member and how you came about to that journey. Yeah, it's really wild because, you know, I do police accountability organizing now, right? Like I, I work at the Brooklyn Movement Center. We're a member of Communities United for Police Reform. So I, but I've, I've been doing police accountability work for like the last five years. And I've done a lot of other kinds of organizing besides policing, but policing is the issue that got me involved in activism and organizing, right? Like I, I grew up in the 90s in Giuliano's New York. I'm Haitian, so you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like yes, we're gonna co opt it, you know, my people, always. But you say yeah, you grew up I mean, in the 90s, what part of the 90s? What do you mean, what part of the 90s? The spicy, all the spicy part, the all of the 90s, the spicy 90s, <laughs> and like, you know, what was spicy was there was so much stuff happening, like. There was so much stuff, like political stuff happening with Haitians, whether it was like Abner Louima getting brutalized by the NYPD or like the several times that Aristide was ousted from Haiti. Like, so in my family, I was very politicized, but, and you know, I was going to the marches and doing all the things, but the very first time that I took my own personal action towards organizing was when the four cops who shot 41 shots at 
um, Amadou Diallo, right? Like once you say 41, Ooh. if you grew up here, you know. Immediately know. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know, man. Woo! Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's all good. I mean, it's a conversation. So I was, I was 15 and I was in high school and I saw a flyer that was like, come to the Black Student Union if you're angry about the four cops who got acquitted. And, you know, and I'll say for folks, you know, I know that y'all have much reach and everybody who's listening is not necessarily familiar, but to say that Amadou Diallo was killed by NYPD in 2000. He was a 23 year old West African immigrant and he was standing in his vestibule holding a wallet. And the four white police officers who shot 41 times at him, including two officers who reloaded their clips. That's what I'm saying. They said they thought it was a gun. Well, I don't know you about you, man. That? I take out my wallet a lot, and I ain't, I, I, I mean. It's powerful, whoop. but it's not that powerful. That's what she's saying. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> a wallet? So everybody on this call, I think, was born and raised in Brooklyn. And, hey, Pula. You know, so, you know, I, I remember, you know, we were all pretty much kids when that happened and are still, like, younger, you know, finding ourselves teenagers and... I know for me growing up, like, we, I mean, we always hear about police brutality, but like, that was to me, like the first thing that was like glaring of like, yo, like we see police wild out. But like when you have 41 shots, um, you know, for me, it was like, yo, avoid police at all costs. But it seemed like it sparked something when you, Antonine, that said, you know what, uh, I need to, you know, speak out against this or how can we, like, it seemed like you became, or something sparked within you in regards of like, being a problem solver. So were there like other leaders around you that kind of helped you gravitate towards um, that vision or that passion of being an activist or people that you can like lend uh, an ear to and say, hey guys, this is what I'm feeling. How do I go about this? Yeah, I mean, it was the fact that I came up in my family having these conversations that really grounded me, you know, like, mm. like you know, being a Haitian immigrant, my mom, she always would say like, you know, like we all do this. If, if y'all have immigrant family, we all send money back, right? And she yeah. always oh, had yeah. this idea of like, you know, we don't just do for ourselves, we do for our people. And that was a philosophy that went beyond sending money and beyond remittance, but it's like a policy of like, you know, we got to hold on our folks particularly. And, and, you know, for my mom, it was like, not just because it's family, but because we're black and because we're Haitian and it means something to be black. Right. So, you know, the Haitian community in Brooklyn, I'm not going to say like is perfect when it comes to working with other black folks. Right. Like there's a lot of real issues and real divisions between our folks. But like me being born here that, you know, I took what my mom said about us being black, like very, very literally. And it made me feel like in this situation, like the, the thing that stuck with me in the Amadou case was that the, the there were four cops firing and two cops re- reloaded their clips. And, and I remember I thought, you know, I think we all remember the time that you think that the cops are going to get what they deserve, right? Like, you think the cops are going to get oh, um, yeah. charged, you think they're going to go to jail, and then, yeah. and so I was just like, it's so obvious, clearly they reloaded, clearly they had time, clearly the man was on the floor mm-hmm. at that point, and that, w- that was the shit that kind of broke me, that was the shit that made me feel like, okay, like, this system really doesn't care about Black people, and that's when I started building, like, my own organizing community, which... You know, like most people know, it starts with your friends. Yeah. Nice. Right. Um, real quick, Anthony. Um, so in my belief, one thing that changes with the time is technology. And there's a big variance between how we grew up in the 90s and nowadays. So mm-hmm. like 
I think because of like social media and the fact that we could get information instantaneously nowadays mm-hmm. plays a big variance. But how much do you account for that plus the acts of gentrification where you see other groups of people joining in on the protest to help to show that we have some comrades, as you might want to call it, um, within the struggle and the, in the fight? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, New York City is a really interesting place to organize and an interesting place to be a Black person organizing because in other parts of the country, there's like a real identity of Black organizing, right? Like, and that's because like in other parts of the country, it's largely just Black Americans, right? Like you don't have a lot of Black immigrants in the same way. And, and especially not from coming from as many countries and areas as you have in New York City. So I think the, the culture of Black organizing over the past, like, 50, 60 years has not been a very strong culture. And that means like when it comes down to, I think getting like, when it comes down to doing the, the political education work we need to do with black people as a whole, we haven't been able to do that. So then you got this gentrification and you got these white kids who went to liberal arts colleges, you know, they went to, they got all these expensive educations where they talk about all the good liberal shit that we don't necessarily get, right? And they come in and they're so highly politicized. And then you have communities where you have people who are, you have Black people who are caught up in the system and don't have a great analysis. And then you have white people who have learned about the system, but they don't have no experience. And then it's hard to really find like, where's, where, where, where's the, the minority of folks like us who are Black people who have the experiences and have the analysis? And how are we actually developing Black people like black communities around the politics. Nice. Um, I have a question. Oh yeah, Pat. Yeah, I mean, so for something like that, I mean, would you say like, I mean, I know it all starts with your friends, like 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 me and the guys, and like of course like other groups of friends we have. We have these kind of conversations. We you know we we're hungry, we want to learn more and stuff. Like you know, so what would you um, like recommend for uh, uh, like? Do you think it would be ideal to like have like I don't not necessarily classes but like you know like forums so you kind of could get like people who kind of want to learn a little bit more and are unsure how to uh, actually become active like you know you can have the burning passion but you really don't know where or how to start like would you what would you suggest for that word word listen if you if you got that burn we we got something for you you know <laughs> you got that heat yeah. fire <laughs> we got we got a cream for that burn right like and it's it's the political <laughs> education. Right. So because <laughs> this I mean, this this, you know, the budget fight that we're in and we, you know, I know we we'll get to talk about this more, but like the budget fight that we're in, like we we're talking about defund the NYPD. People don't know what that means. Right. Like people think that means we're going to get right out of the NYPD tomorrow. Um, and I think what the work that we've been doing on this campaign has, you know, we've been hosting webinars like we just put out a video like explaining what defund means. And this is the beginning. (laughs) Is a thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's the beginning of the work, but really, like, you know, we're gonna be educating people. Like, you know, it's it's not. It's fucked up to have a bunch of folks who have all the analysis just holding on to it, right? Like, oh, I hate that. Like, developed everybody. So, yeah, I think Ray got a question. Go ahead, Remy. I wanted to take that conversation further because, um. For me, I've learned like through the years, one of the most stagnant things in the black community has been the lack of like knowledge and resources. That's been one of the things that really held our community back, like the lack of knowledge towards certain things and the resources we have towards that. And you also made a reference to like um, gentrification and so forth in the black community. I think TJ did and asked you that question prior. 
Do you feel like that's opened up the resources within the black community as far as like the communi community becoming gentrified as being able to like expand the resources we get as well in the black community? No, no, because people who aren't black and people who in general, whether they're black or not, who aren't from our neighborhoods, they come in and they don't know how to be in community with us very often, right? I don't think that's true as a whole, right? Like we, I, we have some dope members at BMC who I you know, they're not black, but they live in Flatbush and they know everybody on their block, right? Like, so it's, I think it's, I know them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, it's like everybody could talk the talk, everybody could say Black Lives Matter, whatever, but like, who are your Black people, right? Like, who are the people you're actually in deep relationship with that's going to hold you accountable to saying Black Lives Matter? That's true. So let's talk about, you know, you being deputy director, you know what I'm saying? We gotta, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta pump that up. When I saw that, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, she's deputy director. She's yeah. about to, <laughs> oh, she's oh. holding these communities down. Um, so the Brooklyn Movement Center. So yep. first give us your, first give us your backstory of how you got there and then give us uh, a nice foundation of what that movement is doing for the community because uh, I feel like it's important. Like, I think the biggest thing that I hear from all of my friends is, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where I can help. I don't know how I can help. I don't know what I can do. And this is just sitting in bed style. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> how do we not know about this? And obviously I, I just learned about it, but now I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity for me to get more involved. So I just want to see how that opportunity presented itself to you. Um, and then where it took you in regards of your trajectory, your career path, and how it furthered your uh, your mission and your passion in regards of like building this community and building this knowledge base where people can now have an opportunity to kind of take steps that you took. Yeah, I, um, you know, I worked in government for a couple of years and what's the sense that I got in government is that the uh -oh. government doesn't actually have the resources. What, somebody here working government was good. No, you were, I just, you were, I was like, she worked for the government, guys. We got to run. It's called ASAP. Well, here's the thing. I'm out here screaming about we need to change the government, but who best than somebody who was on the inside and understands the problem? Okay. You know what? Applause for that one in the studio. We're going to put that in post. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I... I, I feel really clear about the limitations of government. And I, you know, what I was seeing was I was seeing a lot of local community groups actually being able to reach people and actually being able to change people's minds. Because everybody, a lot of people who interact with government, they just they just want personal power. But you don't mm -hmm. get personal power by like this person becomes, you know, the chair of this thing and this person becomes the president of this council, right? Like that's personal power. What we're looking for is like, how do we get people power? So for me, I was like, I want to work with a local group that actually wants to build power and actually wants to push the government because the government only understands power, right? So from there, I heard about the Brooklyn Movement Center and I was like, okay, all right, I see y'all, what's going on? And it was mm -hmm. a job posting. And then I was like, okay, I like to organize the community and this is a community organizer job, feel me? And, um, and I, you know, I just, I just applied, I just straight up applied and it was amazing because, you know, when on my first day of work, I literally showed up at my boss's front door, right? Like we met with the board members, right? Like we didn't have an office. We were just starting the organization and we, like you know, that. I was a part of us finding an office. 
Um, I got another question for you. Um, so I see that broad the broad the broad base of your work is in Crown Heights and Bed Stuy. Um, mm -hmm. Have you guys reached out, or are there any other like implementations of what you guys do in other communities, such as like Brownsville, East New York, Flatbush? Um, this is going to be real Brooklyn term CI. We all know what that yes. means. Um, so, like, never heard that. I never used that term. Nah, never heard that. Yeah. What? Never heard that. Don't be a Coney Island? I've used contact schools that are Coney Island, but don't I've be, never heard it. No, no, no. Don't, don't be so central I, Brooklyn. Don't be I often don't consider Coney Island Brooklyn. I'm like, listen, man, if don't I got to like take that. it. Don't be like that. It's like Annex. It's like, Ridgewood is an Annex. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. Ridgewood not even on the map. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, we, you know, we talk about Central Brooklyn and the surrounding communities and we keep it really vague. And part of it is in that way is that, you know, a lot of our members have been pushed out from, from Bedside and Crown Heights into Flatbush and into Brownsville and East New York. Oh. So, and like, you know, Brownsville and East New York are going through a lot of the same things, right? A like, is, you know, Brownsville might look now, Brownsville might look the way, in a few years the way that um, the Bedside looked a few years ago, right? Like, so there's, yeah, we have that consideration and we're constantly like assessing like what does it look like for us to represent Central Brooklyn. I think one of the one of the sticking points that we've realized as a community is that we need to get more involved with politics. Um right. and I know you spoke about being in government. Um I know I joked about it, but that fear that I just had, that's a real fear within our community, right? Like we don't trust the government. Um yeah. and I think that often hurts us. Because because what happens is we detach from things that we are afraid of, right? So like if you look at all of the systems that basically plague us, um, we don't have enough influence in them to have our voices be heard. So how was it with Although you it's being circular, in... right? Yeah, you're right. right. That's circular because it's also like, but why would people want to be involved? Exactly. In... Yeah. So how was that with you, you know, being in government? Um, I, I'm not sure how much you could speak to, but like what level of access did you have within it? And how did that information or how did that experience, I should say, kind of like mold where you are now? And how are you still using uh, that to your advantage in regards of like making change and making sure that people are aware of how change can be made? Because um, I think more than anything now, I'm hearing legislation i'm hearing policies i'm hearing words that are like very powerful in regards of like having an impact on how we are actually policed and governed and i'm proud that those conversations are happening um but i can remember years back you know we weren't asking for those things we were just like please treat us nice um <laughs> <laughs> and it was like uh, they're racist they're not gonna do that <laughs> but uh so can you give us like you know your background on government and how you've been using that to your advantage yeah I, um, you know, I, the thing that, the reason that I went to work in government is because I was trying to influence the government from the outside and it didn't work, right? Like the people that they told me like, oh, this council member is so positive and they love our work. I couldn't even get those people on the phone, right? So I was like, I need to understand. I was like, I need to understand how, just how like government actually interacts with people who have power. And mm -hmm. what I learned, you know, I was, I was a community liaison, right? So I was like the first touch. I was all the way at the bottom of the totem pole, right? So I would get all of the raw reactions from people and they would get filtered up. And mm -hmm. 
what I learned, you know, I learned that like government doesn't have the capacity to reach everybody. They reach a few individual people. They get them to be the per people who sign on and say that they're going to do stuff all the time. And then the people who, the people who are always making noise, they just find ways to decrease their power. Right. And I, I keep coming back to power because, you know, we talk about, we talk about what happens in our lives without often naming the different power forces at play. And, it, and power is a real thing. And like elected officials, because they've been elected by people, they have that power, right? They can say, I can do whatever I want to do because I got 7,000 votes in my district, right? True. Now with people, we don't get votes, we give votes, right? So then if we want government to move, we need to pull together a lot of people who vote to be able to do that work, right? But then there's also this, like, within nonprofits, there's this complicated structure where nonprofits can't be involved in politics, right? So there's, there, there are all these ways that it's set up to make it more difficult for people power to actually influence elected officials. So if anybody, anybody who wants to get involved in doing this work, yeah, you probably are interested in organizing because you hear about these fights and you care about the issues. But like, you know, let's take it back to step one. How do we understand power? How do we move power? How do we shift power? Like those are the, that's the basis of everything that we do. And then you layer the campaigns and the analysis and everything on top of that. Nice. And how would you how would you define um, for yourself? How would you define power? Ooh, I mean, you know, there was six seasons. It was so good. <laughs> ah! Oh my gosh! I wanted to say, but she did it. It's so good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who was your favorite character? Oh, uh, this is unpopular, but Ghost. Oh, really? Ghost? Yeah, unpopular opinion, Ghost. How is that unpopular? That is like the most popular opinion. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Tommy for some reason. Well, you know, Tommy, Tommy's cool. He's still, he's still white, though. Like, he's I thought she was going to say Angie. I was like, ew. Uh, no, no, no. Ew. You know, ew. black women go up. Black women go up a lot for Tasha, and I think her her character actually sells black women short. That's why I said Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my. Oh, man. I want to bring you on another episode just to talk about power now. <laughs> I was like, it could have did way better than Tasha as far as like, oh, you, you know what? I'm sorry. I got a little passionate there. You know? <laughs> I told you. you got some cream for that burn. Let that passion burn. <laughs> All right. But, but speaking of power, I think uh, T had a throwback type scenario we wanted to speak about. Oh, yes. Yeah. So basically what we're going to be doing every episode is we're going to be doing like a little TBT just so we can give some gems and knowledge about things that's happened within that week corresponding with the episode and everything. So we're going to want your opinion on this. OK, Anthony. Cool. So this is going to be sports related for this. Uh -oh. first. Episode. All right. I'm out of my I'm out of, I'm out of my. Oh, no, no, no. Nah, nah. Just, just hear it out. OK. <laughs> So we got Muhammad Ali as the first one. And on June 28, 1971, Ali's court decision was overturned. I'm going to give you a little background. Ali versus the United States. April 28, 1967, the heavyweight boxing champ and future all-time great refused to be drafted into the U.S. Armed Forces to fight in the Vietnam War. He did not join for two main reasons. First, he was fighting against... First, the war was fighting against poor people in a different country that had no qualms with our people here in the United States. And another thing was also supporting oppressors who refused to give us justice and equality in our home nation. Secondly, it was cited for um, religious beliefs. <clears throat> As a result, he was fined $10,000, banned from the Boston Commission for three years, and also sentenced to five years of prison. 
He only served about two months because he um, did a bond and was out on a case appeal. However, he's had to serve his three years of boxing, and in due time, he became the heavyweight champion again. He was influential against the war for Vietnam for us people here in the United States, as well as U.S. drafting policies, which ended in 1973. Now, we're going to correlate that with like how athletes nowadays um, basically use their platform or should use their platform to stipulate mm-hmm. how they feel about what what's going on within the United States. Like now everybody outside of the black community is loving Cap for what he was doing, but everybody misconstrued it, miscon- or the other people misconstrued what he was doing and took it for, oh, he's against the military to get different agendas. So if you can talk to that a little bit to see how it correlates, so. Yeah, I mean that's not even a that's not even a, a sports question. There's like there's no free throw. About to say. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, "Who at MVP?" I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the paint? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, mm. you should ask John Starks. <laughs> wow, are you a Knicks fan? Are right, you? Listen, I, no, I, I'm a I'm a John Starks era Knicks fan. A Patrick yeah. Era. Wow. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Early yeah. Patrick. Yeah, you're a Knicks fan. You're a Knicks fan for life. Um, that was, but for I the viewers, that was a different. If you era, like abuse, I'll take it. <laughs> um, but I guess for the um, viewers, the yeah, go ahead. To yeah, sum it up for the viewers, good. look, I mean, uh, power. I think. Just power. No, no. I was gonna say put it with power because if you think about it, right? You spoke about it. Power makes you or gives you the ability to influence. Our athletes have a lot of power. Ali used his power. In what way would you like to see athletes use their power right now? Or you know. Well, this is this is what I appreciate because you're talking about how power is different and shows up differently, right? So mm-hmm. when we talk about a movement, right? Like for the what people have been experiencing as the movement for the past like five years has basically been people um, fighting, like activists fighting, right? But when you look at the '60s, when you and you know we talk about the '60s not just as a civil rights era, but like in this country the second reconstruction, right? Like the mm-hmm. first reconstruction was after slavery, and it was like we need to. We need to break this system so that we can figure out what it looks like without slavery. The second reconstruction was like civil rights. We need to break the system of not having civil rights, right? And, you know, a reconstruction isn't just going to be activists. It involves everybody, right? So the real question is, like, what is the role that athletes play in the movement? What is the role that actors play in the movement? What is the role that activists and organizers play? Because everybody is not going to be an organizer. And I think that's where we get into some really... That's where we get into some complicated conversations where people have expectations of celebrities that are not actually based on what the role is that they should play in movement because everybody is not going to be an organizer. Exactly. I love that. That's a powerful answer there. All right. So uh, I know this has been a very uh, insightful and refreshing conversation, but this is part one. This is part one, man. If you're out there in the the internets, the, the the webs, the Zooms, the wherever you are, Spotify's, Apple Podcasts, please, please join us next week to conclude with part two. But before we go, we want to make sure Antonine can, you know, give her contact information on how people can reach her, how they can reach her organization, or how you can just reach out to her if you're trying to be an organizer or if you have some ideas. 
So go ahead and give your social media or your websites and all those good things that people can use. Yeah. If you want, you want to connect with BMC, we're at brooklynmovementcenter.org. You should become a member. But maybe even before that, you know, reach out and find out more about what we do, right? Like, I don't want you to become a member based on what you see on the website because the website doesn't give you the full experience of what it's like to be in a Black-led organizing group in Central Brooklyn. So for that, you want to reach out to us, hit us up. We're on Instagram, um, at BK Movement. We're also on Twitter, at BK Movement. We're on Facebook. Um, and then me personally, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at um, Anthony Pierre on Twitter, which I'm sure these lovely black gentlemen will make sure that y'all have the information for. Oh, we're going to put all your information everywhere. Um, and blasting all in, or just her social media info. <laughs> but yes, uh, my name is Stephon Bishop. You can find me on all social media platforms at Stephon Bishop. That's S-T-E-P-H-O-N. If you can't spell Bishop, just don't bother following me. That's how I do it. <laughs> I'm TJ. I'm right here. You can see my name in my little box. Really, TJ? <laughs> That's me. I'm Raven Sanchez. On Instagram, it's RLS underscore JR, as well as on Twitter, RLS, RLS underscore JR. On Facebook, I'm just Raven Sanchez. I'm Patrick Felix, also known as Podcast P. Uh, you can find me on Instagram uh, at P-A-T-M-C-C-R-O-T-C-H. What does that spell? Um, Pat McCrutch. Pat McCrotch. Oh, okay. Pat McCrotch. This has been an amazing interview. And always, you can follow us on social media, Stash Network. You guys have been amazing. Thank you. Thank you.